John and Dave discuss episodes 4, 5, and 6 of Ted Lasso Season 3 and how they apply to teaching and learning. We try to use our Teaching Like Ted Lasso themes, themes like play, curiosity, teamwork, vulnerability, discourse, and social and emotional learning to frame the conversation. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. This is your one and only warning that there are spoilers ahead. So I'm wearing the shirt you gave me. So <laughs> listeners at home, I've got a shirt that is the diamond dog in the peanut <laughs> style, but they are all in it together. This is certainly not what the first part of this season has felt like. It felt, it feels like they're very sort of disconnected. And I think that that's some of what people are uncomfortable with and yet, you know what this reminded me of? The Deathly Hollows, where there's that, that part of that book where it just feels like Harry and Hermione and Ron are just jumping around and not making any progress and feeling like this was just sort of the worst storytelling until I kind of stepped back and thought of the, the meta part of it, which was, no, this is great storytelling because it's making me feel as anxious and like I'm not making progress as, as the characters are. And I wonder to what extent that's sort of a, a vehicle that we're, we're looking at here too. I wonder, right? Because I thought that part of the Deathly Hallows was really kind of a tip of the hat to the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, like Sam and Sam and Frodo crossing the marshes, which yeah. as a as a kid, the first two times I tried reading Return of the King, I failed in the marshes. <laughs> I gave I gave up, and then when I finally you know got myself to get through it, it was like it, it, there there was such catharsis. This idea of it doesn't feel like we're making any progress right in the story can also be kind of what feels like happens in, in our classrooms. It doesn't feel like we're making any progress and therefore we immediately as as teachers can jump in to try to fix things. Kind of looking for progress, even if you don't get to the end, right? Are you are you seeing any progress? You can do a lot of good work before you see any progress. Yes, yes. So shall we go through the episodes four, five, and six by our themes? Yeah. So when I think about our first theme, play, there are two ideas that I see in episodes four, five, and six. One is this idea of, and I don't know that we talked about it in the episode that we did for play, but it's this idea that play is a way of inviting people in. So I think about in episode four, where the Diamond Dogs are riding back together again, and Roy leaves, but they do their best to try to get him back in, right? They're, they're being very playful. In episode five, they have some of the same dynamics when they're trying to get Trent Krim to actually share. He's got this idea of maybe what to do against Man City, but he says he can't, right? Because he needs to be objective. And they both, yeah, and they both, all three of them, uh, you know, use this analogy of uh, a wounded monkey and the documenter who just sits and watches it as it gets attacked by the hyena, right? And, and you know, it, 
it opens space, right? That playful nature opens space, I think, to allow him to actually share, again, back to our earlier conversation, it doesn't really make any progress, but at least it sort of invites him in to be a, a part of the conversation. And I was thinking you talking about that reminds me in episode four, like Shandy is constantly inviting play, hmm. right? But the purposes of the play are not, are not healthy, right? So, I, I mean, I like about the show in general that there's like no simple solutions ever, right? Something that works in one context is not gonna work in another context. And, and so they show that somebody who seems like it would be right in the ethic of the show, right? So, you know, who's uh, unconventional and thinking about doing things different ways and, you know, and she's, you know, hardcore about play, but there's something not playful about her play. Mm. Like it has to be her way. Shandy feels very much about ego. Well, and in part because she's been judged for, you know, who right. she is based on how she looks and, yeah. and what her role's been. Yeah, and that's fair too, right? We, I mean, we know a little bit about Nate's background, but we don't know so much about, about Shandy's background. So, yeah. so that seems to get us into trying to be curious, right? Being curious about, about these folks. So, so what are some other examples of curiosity that, that you saw in these last three episodes? The, the one that kind of really stood out to me is when um, Hickman comes in and, and sits to have a very serious conversation with Rebecca about is changing the coach on the table. To me, he's really sounding her out as to, well, you know, what teams would usually do in this situation. Is that something we're even willing to consider? And he, right. and he doesn't come across and say, we should do this. He doesn't come across and say, give reasons to do this. He, you know, starts by trying to see where she is. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. In fact, Rebecca replies, you want to fire Ted? And he says something to the uh, effect of what in all of this makes you think that I want to do that, right? And so he's not like, trying to make a point he really is genuinely curious about what to do to to turn the ship around um what strikes you about curiosity from these episodes one of the ones that and it was just a really small piece but it made me think about the episode we did with mandy on curiosity was this idea of Nate finds out that the supermodel wants him to call he has the supermodel's phone number he makes a call and ask the supermodel out, but we find out that it's not the supermodel, it's his mom. And that he's testing something out, he's, he's wondering about it and he's getting some feedback. She gives him notes, right? And that really made me think about this idea of rough draft thinking, right? Rough draft math. That reminded me of sort of being curious about an approach and, and, and seeking some, some feedback. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the connection with rough draft math. I hadn't thought about it as being curious, but that idea of kind of trying it out first, that does make sense. Yeah. The, the, you know, and so the question in right with, with Nate was how, how is that? And the same thing could be said around rough draft math was how was that? Yeah, that's good. I would, Nate, Nate should do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, and he said earlier on, right, that he does that kind of a regular basis in his own head. 
mm-hmm. that you know he's he's forever trying out ideas and then holds them until they're ready. But yeah, it would be uh, he needs to get out of his head. I, I I mean I saw some really hopeful signs from him in episode five that he is starting to figure out some of what he wants to do. I know this is skipping ahead a couple themes, but that's okay. He definitely shows some vulnerability. You know, he's willing to go talk to Ted and he wants to apologize. And despite him getting all this counsel not to, his heart, his heart, I think, is leading him in a certain direction. So where does where does that come into play in our classroom? I mean, both of us, I, I think, are are pretty honest. Whereas with our, our students. So like this week I've been sick and it's been very hard for me to to get uh just get everything done that I want to get done. And so you know, I've got to be honest with my students about, well, you don't have feedback on this yet. And, you know, so here's what I'm going to do in exchange to try to make that better. You know, I want them to know that, you know, I expect better of myself, but sometimes you can't get done everything you want to get done. What's nice about that, John, is it's modeling for our students taking care of themselves and being honest with students about the teacher taking care of themselves and finding ways of navigating around what we often think about as being, here's what I need to do, right? We all know you were talking about, we all know timely feedback is great, but timely feedback when I am dosed out on NyQuil might not be the best thing, right? (laughs) The best thing might be for me to take care of myself. And so um, I need to model that as well. All right. So I derailed us. That's okay. (laughs) You're you're very accepting of that. One might even say it's good teamwork. Uh, I appreciate that. You mentioned it earlier when you were talking about Shandy. It's pretty clear to me in these three episodes that teamwork is lacking. It's lacking at the PR firm, right? It's lacking on ASU Richmond. They are not on the same page. They are going in all different directions. And they make that very clear a couple of times. They make it clear where they are planning for to, to play West Ham and they start throwing each other under the bus. Ted says about you're pointing more fingers than Ganesh. Yeah. And so they're all going in different directions. The next one, they literally are pointing in different directions when it comes to, you know, which way is north. They are not on the same page. And and this is this last episode, episode six, really has me thinking about, I mean, there's individual characters on the team, but I think the team is a character of its in its own. The the team as a whole doesn't doesn't have that that kind of uh unity so so but then thinking about like even teamwork within ourselves right are are we on the same page with all the things that we're trying to do right i mean as a teacher considering the expectations we have laid on us from elsewhere they literally pull us in different directions right so how can you know how can we resolve that within ourselves as well as within our community. Yeah, that's a a great question. And it reminds me, Dan Anderson brought this up in our 
episode on teamwork, right? Where you asked him some, some pretty good questions because he's a coach about sort of the relationship between coaching and teaching. And that was one of the places where he mentioned originally like, well, it's in coaching, you know, the team ought to be all on the same page doing, you know, to, to, to do this, to, to be successful, but that might not be the same in my math class, but I don't think we spend enough time thinking, thinking about it in this, in that way. One of the things that I've been doing with my, my students as they're thinking about planning lessons is using Simon Sinek's why, what's your why? And so getting them to be very intentional about what's your why and trying to avoid a why that's a what. I want them to be able to create tree diagrams to count outcomes. That's a what. But why? Why should we be doing that? If we can have a, uh, a common why, now we're all sort of on the page. And it, it's clear that the AFC Richmond has not found a common why. It's interesting that I have not been successful with getting my elementary uh, pre-service teachers to to adopt that why. I tried to make it a part of their their daily, they work with kids every day. And so as a part of their thing, but I, I also understand that where they are, right? This is their first kind of recurring teaching relationship with kids, that the what is, is what they're concentrating on right now. They have to get straight what they're doing before they kind of lean into that. So what is the reason I'm, I'm doing this? The other thing you were saying really got me, but kind of recalling what Dan was saying, got me thinking about that class as a whole. And I love, I have a, a group of seniors and a capstone this semester, and they really formed into a cohesive unit, right? So when we're having a discussion, you know, they're checking to make sure everybody who wanted to say something gets to say it. And if somebody says something and then kind of forgets to follow up on it, somebody else will say, oh, hey, but remember, we were going to do this next. And it's just been delightful, right? That So when that class becomes the team, it's astounding what they can do together. It's rewarding to be able to see that, be able to step back and see them working together. So if if they're not acting like a team, I think it's really interesting that to me, the place where, again, it feels like they're turning this all around is Ted alone coming to this realization about triangles mm -hmm. and how that might apply. Just a moment of appreciation for Donald Duck in Math Magic Land, one of my favorite pieces of media of all time showing up in my current favorite show. Yeah, it was just a meaningful bit right there in a lot of different ways. It, it connected with my math. It connected with my coaching. There was a lot of good stuff there. What it forced me to realize, though, or, or at least remember, is that sometimes teamwork, in order for a team to be successful, we all have to maybe do some of our individual work to be prepared. You mm -hmm. see Jamie and Roy, or Jamie in particular, but Jamie and Roy doing that, doing the individual work to improve the team. And Ted, who has very, been very much sort of the person who's trying to inspire who still doesn't know what a friendly is after coaching for, you know, two and a half years. And in the Premier League. So they start with good luck charms, right? This sign is going to, is going to be what turns it around for us. 
That's not going to be enough for success. Then it's inspirational speeches. He gives a great speech at the end of the fifth episode when the sign is about believing in each other and stuff. It doesn't make a bit of difference in Amsterdam. You've got to be able to put that into proven practice. So many of our guests have talked about the building thinking classroom. We can be as inspirational. We can believe in the power of problem solving in mathematics. If we don't have proven protocols in place, there's a good chance that none of that's going to make any difference. I think about Stigler and Heber and the work that they did with the teaching gap and where they would go searching for American teachers who were saying the right things about the kind of teachers they wanted to be. And, and they thought they were going to see these reform-based lessons, but the walk didn't match the talk. Right. I think it's important, and I have to keep reminding myself and my students of this, that you've got to do some of this work individually to be prepared to be part of a team. Okay, so yes. I've said a lot now. I'm going to hand it <laughs> off to you to be part of the team. Well, I, and I loved that. So, of course, immediately he wants to talk about it with people. In so many shows, it would have been Ted, this outsider, comes up with this brilliant idea that revolutionizes everything. And, and Beard is like, oh, yeah, this this has been done. 50 years that, ago. But the, to me, that really validated it, right? Like that he yeah. came up with an actual football thing, and it might be the right solution for his team, which Beard validates by saying, yes, we should definitely try this. And teachers, I, I don't know how often as a profession, we end up, you know, rediscovering something that Dewey or Piaget or Vygotsky did, right? We kind of stumble across it in a new form. That just felt so much like real professional practice to me. And that, you know, when you share that idea, you somebody else is going to connect you with, oh, yeah, here's where we've seen that before. Here's how other people have tried to do that. I just love that as a professional moment. So how do we help teachers to, again, make sure that what they're looking at, it doesn't need to be brand new, right? It just needs to be the right thing for your classroom, for your learners. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Feels like we've talked a little bit about the vulnerability in the discourse and we're already kind of going long. I wonder, do we want to jump to the uh, social and emotional learning stuff? Because that feels like these last three episodes, there's lots there. And again, maybe not in the sense of here's what to do, but here's what it looks like <laughs> when you don't have it. Yeah. What's, a, what's something that resonates with you for that? Well, there were all sorts of examples of people being angry and not having a productive, positive way to deal with it. There's when the players find out that Nate was the one who tore the sign and they go out on the field and they're just thugs. As a former coach, I understand what Beard and Roy were thinking. It certainly is a, a technique that, that coaches use but they didn't give any supports for, okay, now that you're angry, how are we going to do this? And, but I love Ted's response to it, right? He doesn't, he doesn't respond in kind and they're mad at him then for not being mad at them. I think that's the thing for teachers to re remember sometimes. Uh, you and I've talked about this and I, whenever I'm doing 
working with student teachers, it, it often comes up, is you don't have to react to everything that, that students do, especially when we're talking about adolescents, because that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to gain a certain level of power by, by creating circumstances that force you to react. I learned most of what I know about love and logic from you, that you don't have to have an original response. You know, you don't have to make it your problem. You don't even need to have an immediate response. And I think that that's some of what Ted's doing when he's not going to yell at them. He's going to let them work it out on their own. They're going to be harder on themselves than he could ever be. Yeah. It feels like one of the most socially, emotionally mature person in these three episodes is Henry. He bullies a kid. He recognizes what he did. He's self-aware. So if we're thinking about those castle frameworks that Mike Cackley introduced us to in the last episode. So he's self-aware. He recognizes he didn't do self-management. He didn't count to 10 and then do it again. He takes responsibility for it. He's accountable for it. And he he does a rap, which I really wish we'd heard, right? I can't believe <laughs> yeah. it. But he's like the most emotionally again mature of of everybody the in these three episodes yeah that's fair because he's listening and processing and then reflecting he's doing the things we want to come out of social emotional learning so episode six you know the team doesn't split up and go their own ways you know they stay together to to resolve it ted does the individual work as you were as you were talking about rebecca opens herself up, right? And really takes a risk. Uh, whereas, you know, she's somebody who, who likes to have things under tight control, that they're able to see new results. Well, and Roy and Jamie and the bicycle scenes were fabulous in terms of stepping back to Roy being very vulnerable. He doesn't get there immediately, but because Jamie keeps pushing, he's curious about why he doesn't want to ride the bike, it comes out. He's honest about, he's vulnerable about that he can't and then why he can't. And that he has been taking this anger, this he says it, misplaced anger and putting it on Jamie and owning that. And so, so yeah, I think that's a good point. He's having this payoff. And then that whole montage of him learning to ride the bike and Jamie helping out shows so much perseverance. That was one of the, the key things that, that Mike brought up in the episode as he was talking about the social emotional learning. It's, it's part of the castle framework. It's also part of when you look at the work the Dana Center did and it connects social emotional learning to the mathematical practices. It's looking at perseverance. He doesn't give up. He throws the bike, he throws tantrums, <laughs> all the sorts of things you would expect, but he does not give up. Whereas, and at any point in my in my uh, kind of worst teacher moments, you know, he throws the bike, he gets angry, I could stop. Right. But, but Jamie's able to persevere, I think through belief that he can do it. If you can dribble, you can ride a bike. Oh yeah, that was it. That was it. This episode, I mean, it just had everything for me, right? It had all this progress, uh, loved the relationship with the Rebecca and the mysterious boat captain, but then the Van Gogh Museum, which is just one of my favorite places in the world. And I'm pretty sure that that passage that was said to Ted is from one of Vincent's letters to Theo. Mm. 
And that's one of the things that's most powerful in that museum is they have a lot of his text with his paintings. At least when I was there ages ago, it was arranged chronologically. So like every painting you saw was after the, the previous painting. And they had parts from his diaries, parts from people who knew him at that moment, you know, the people he tried to trade that painting for food to, right? So it really captured a lot of, a lot of that experience. The piece that he wrote to Theo talks about he's going to continue to search for beauty. The docent who is next to Ted ends again with some of the same language that Henry used early on in this season. You've got to try. And, and Ted writes in his book, Try Angles, right? T-R-Y. Try seems to be an important piece of what's going on. And that's exactly what we're trying to do, ourselves trying to do in our classrooms and trying to get teachers to do is provide opportunities, regardless of their mathematical demons, regardless of that, that baggage that they bring into the classroom. We can't ignore that baggage head on. We need to, to look it in the eyes and, and, and be able to acknowledge it and name it, but then be able to still try, find the beauty still beyond that. And, and that's the piece that is so hard for so many of our students and so hard for so many of our teachers, especially those teachers who, as Taylor talked about, have had a, a negative emotional relationship with mathematics. With my son, we did uh, math and art uh, lessons with my pre-service teachers, who then the next week did them with elementary kids. And it always amazes me because right math and one of the things math and art have in common is people just saying well I just can't but for some reason you combine them and you know the art aspect the people who say they can't do math that gives them freedom to try and the math aspect people who say they can't do art well there must be something logical to it and uh, it's just that that permission to engage it's sometimes just it's a little bit of a change of setting that that makes that happen did your students have a better sense that what they were doing was math? Well, I, th I think they were surprised. I'm gl really glad they had a chance to do it with kids because some of them saw their kids engaging in the math in a different way than they had before. Oh, interesting. And, and the week after it was our last week. And so I was asking uh, the kids because our, our global purpose, right? They know that we're coming in there because uh, these people are trying to learn how to be teachers. And so I asked the kids to give them the, the teacher's feedback. With the, the third graders, several of them independently brought up the math and art project as a place where they really were thinking. And then the first graders, I asked them more kind of like, well, what was something where you really felt like you were learning? And several of them brought up the, the math and art project, which on one hand was just recent, right? First graders, right? But uh, on the other hand, you know, the, the things they said about, you know, like ways to find a hundred, right? The, we're, we're mathematical, you know, so, so the, the teachers, I think, got to see some of that validated. So this feels like it comes, brings us full circle, right? This idea of play, inviting people into something that might be otherwise uncomfortable or frightening and the role that play are giving a different perspective and so that feels yeah. like it, it brings this full circle well and this is this is part of the value of discourse right is what we've been talking through about these episodes made me kind of wonder well why did this episode have to take place in amsterdam 
that sense of kind of being in a different place, giving you permission. And in Amsterdam is famous for so many different things, right? But the somehow having having the break, relocating, that makes opportunity for a re-engagement. I don't think this could have happened in Richmond. I guess to wrap this up, we've been talking about traveling, getting out of this space, and most of our regular listeners will remember that I am nine days from today leaving to go to Tanzania through the airport in Amsterdam. So this is going to be our last new podcast for a month. Bon voyage. I hope you have an amazing trip. I uh, I know this is multiple times back for you, but I love the people there and uh, uh, the kids and the setting. Just everything about it is such an amazing experience. It is an adventure and it's a chance to get, like you were saying, get outside of our normal comfort zone and try out new things and learn new things as a result and reflect on those things and hopefully bring them back. Thank you, Dave, and uh, uh, have a good trip. Just a beautiful moment. He's always been one of my favorite artists and uh, made me want to, I've, I've, the only time I've been in Amsterdam is in the airport, but it made me wonder on the way back from Tanzania, if I could maybe get lost. So I missed my flight. <laughs> so anyways, probably shouldn't have said that out loud. If <laughs> <laughs> well, at least there's no recorded evidence of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.